Welcome to Introduction to Feminist and Social Justice Studies. This is the first audio episode of the semester-long course for the Gender, Sexuality, Feminist, and Social Justice Studies program at McGill University taking place in the fall of 2021. My name is Dr. Alex Ketchum. I'm your professor for this course. I'm joined by three teaching assistants who are graduate students at McGill University. Our teaching team will lead you through the materials of this course. Today's episode will explain, one, the design of the course, and particularly why the course will be audio-based, two, what to expect from the course, and three, what to look forward to. Let's get started. Today's song is Rebel Girl by the band Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill was a feminist punk band formed in Olympia, Washington in 1990. This band and its singer, Kathleen Hanna, are often considered pioneers or one of the pioneers of the Riot Girl movement. Riot Girl was a feminist punk movement in the 1990s that began in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. The girls and women in the movement addressed issues of sexism in the music scene through the creation of bands, zines, independently published magazines, and DIY, do-it-yourself ethics. Song lyrics of Riot Girl bands focused on topics such as sexual violence, domestic abuse, the patriarchy, and the empowerment of women and girls. If you have ever heard the phrase, girls to the front, this comes from Riot Girl shows when Kathleen Hanna encouraged women to take space at the front of the audience and on the stage during concerts. The movement was led primarily, but not exclusively, by young white women, Right Girl faced criticism for not addressing issues of racism within the movement. The reason I picked this song for our first class is because there are many things that can bring us to feminism and social justice. There are over 250 students taking this course in the semester of fall 2021. I've also been teaching versions of this class every year since 2014. There's a different reason for every one of the thousands of students I have worked with while teaching feminist and social justice studies. For you, it might be a particular incident. It might have been a book, a song, or someone in your life that made you interested in feminism for the first time. I chose the song because as a child of the 1990s, I found music like this inspiring. It is also imperfect. The people creating this music were learning about social injustices while they were creating this work. Their audiences were also in the process of learning and developing their feminism. As we move through this course together, we will continue to learn and grow. What I want to emphasize in this class is that feminism is a process. Feminism is a process of working towards. We all began this class from different places. This term, as we are holding class remotely, this idea is literally true. You are spread around the world right now. However, even if we were in the same room together, we would come to this class with different expectations and backgrounds, different experiences. For some of you, this is your first ever class at university. So welcome. Some of you are graduating this term. Congrats. Some of you plan to major or minor in gender, sexuality, feminist, and social justice studies, known as GSFS. 
Some of you are taking this class as an elective. We all have different lived experiences that shape the way that we will interact with the materials presented. This is an introductory course, and I aim to teach the class in a way that does not assume prior knowledge, but also will challenge and inspire you to think about feminism and social justice differently. The way I've organized this class is also shaped by my own experiences. For a little bit of my background, my name is Dr. Alex Ketchum, and I'm the faculty lecturer of the Institute of Gender, Sexuality, and Feminist Studies, IGSF, at McGill University. I teach three to four courses in the fall term and three courses in the winter term each year, both for the undergraduate programs in GSFS and in the graduate program of Women's and Gender Studies, and I oversee the GSFS Honors Program. I've been at McGill for a while now, since 2012. It is my fourth year as the faculty lecturer, and I previously adjuncted, which means that I taught courses on a contract basis for the IGSF while I completed my PhD in history. As of this year, I have been the professor for more than 27 courses at McGill, and I will be teaching another three in the winter term. My dissertation project focused on the history of feminist restaurants, cafes, and coffee houses in the United States and Canada from 1972 to 1989. If you feel like learning more about that, you can check out the public history component of that project, The Feminist Restaurant Project, thefeministrestaurantproject.com, where there are also links to my academic and non-academic publications on the subject. I received my MA in History and Women and Gender Studies also from McGill University and an honors BA in Feminist, Gender, and Sexuality Studies from Wesleyan University in Connecticut. I grew up in Southern California between Orange County and LA. My identity is as a queer, cisgendered woman, white settler, able-bodied immigrant, and experience as the first woman in my family to get a BA, let alone get a PhD. And that impacts the way I move through the world and through the academy. My research focuses on the role of technology, food, feminism, and environmentalism in late 20th century and early 21st century social movements in the United States and Canada. I focus primarily on the 1970s to present. My earlier work, which I still work on a bit now, examines lesbian and feminist restaurants and cafes. My interest in past imaginings of utopia through business creation and the implementation of communications technologies has guided my new research on historically contextualizing the relationship between feminist ethics and data and AI, which is supported by a Shirk Insight Grant. I run the Shirk-funded Feminist and Accessible Publishing, Communications, and Technology Speaker and Workshop Series. And you can find that at disruptingdisruptions.com. I'm particularly dedicated to public and accessible scholarship, and I'm the author of the book, Engage in Public Scholarship, a guidebook on feminist and accessible communication. The book will be accessible in open access format and paperback via Concordia University Press in the spring of 2022. I'm also finishing up my book on feminist restaurant history at the moment. All of this brings us to the topic of why the course is organized as it is. Why is this course audio-based? COVID-19 disproportionately affects marginalized communities. The effects of the pandemic have been gendered, classed, and racialized, whether that is the higher number of deaths of Black and Indigenous communities, the precarity of the jobs of many frontline and gig economy workers, that women are disproportionately losing their jobs and or have increased childcare and household work, the increase in domestic abuse, 
the rise in hate crime against Asian Canadians and Asian Americans, and so much more. The pandemic has further highlighted the social inequalities in our world. It is my responsibility as a feminist and as an instructor of feminist studies to, within the best of my abilities, create a classroom environment that reflects feminist pedagogy and feminist and feminist values. Last year, when I first taught this course in podcast format, my students were spread across the globe, across time zones. I did not want to ask anyone to wake up at 4 a.m. to watch a Zoom lecture. As we are required to hold classes with more than 150 students in virtual format again in the fall of 2021 at McGill University, we can continue to benefit from some of the forms of accessibility that opened up via technology. Some of you are parents trying to balance caring for children with schoolwork. Some of you are caring for elderly family members. Some of you are caring for siblings. Some of you are ill or may become ill during the course of the semester. Some of you may be caring for someone else who becomes ill. Many of you work in addition to taking courses and doing reproductive labor, which is defined as the labor that reproduces society, such as cooking, cleaning, etc. Don't worry, we'll talk about that concept more in later lectures. Some of you do not have access to a room or office where you're guaranteed an ideal work environment. Audio files can be downloaded onto phones and listened to in a wide variety of environments. We all come to this course with different access to technology. Some of you have computers and some of you do not. Some of you have to share computers with other people that you live with. Trying to watch a Zoom lecture on a phone can be quite difficult. Video formats require higher bandwidth use. While I will provide links to videos at times, the core of this course material is audio-based. With an audio-based class, you require less bandwidth or data to access course materials. I will provide a transcript for each episode with links. These transcripts are formatted in such a way that they can be read for a screen reader that converts text to braille for students who are blind or visually impaired. This course will, is taught in English. While you are able to submit work in English or French, the lectures will be in English. Some of you are taking this course in a second language. The podcast format allows you to slow down the audio speed, rewind, or re-listen. The transcripts may be of assistance if you are hearing impaired or if English is a second language. Furthermore, the transcripts will be useful to everyone for reference and for the open note quizzes. I've made the audio available on popular podcast apps and on the course website. There shouldn't be any advertisements. The design of this course is influenced by the idea of universal design. Universal design is the concept that one designs things to be accessible to all people, regardless of age, disability, or other factors. While this idea comes from architecture and industrial design, when applied to education in the classroom, it means using a variety of teaching methods to remove any barriers to learning and give all students equal opportunities to succeed. It's about building in flexibility that can be adjusted for every student's strengths and needs. While it's impossible to have an entirely universally designed course, this course just strives towards being as accessible as it can make it. I'm committed to try and make this class as accessible as I can within the constraints of the university. What this looks like is that you can listen to lectures on your own schedule and there's some built-in flexibility with assignment deadlines. I'll go into more detail about what this looks like in the next lecture. When universal design is discussed in the context of education, part of the discussion that can be left out is that not everyone can attend university. As I mentioned, as the first woman in my family to get a BA, let alone a graduate degree, I have a personal 
personal commitment to creating educational materials outside of the classroom. As the audio files of my lectures are released as podcasts, people outside of McGill will also have access to these lectures. As students in this course, you'll have this audio material and transcripts. Through the My Courses portal, you will also have PDFs or library links for every reading that we are discussing in this course. As part of my effort to increase accessibility on the basis of class, you do not have to buy a single book or material in order to take this class. While teaching remotely raises new questions about accessibility for students, there is also the matter of what is accessible for instructors as well. There are 250 of you taking this course, and I am teaching three courses this term. In order to be a good professor, I also need to model boundary setting. I cannot physically answer emails from all of you, so don't email me. Instead, email your assigned TA. Each student will sign up for a TA, teaching assistant, teaching assistant, during their first week. If you do not sign up for a TA, you will be assigned a TA. As part of their contract, I am paying the unionized TAs to answer your emails. If it is a matter that needs my feedback, the TAs will forward me the email. To respect their time, make sure you consult the syllabus before contacting your TAs. To repeat, refer to the syllabus early and often. The topic of emails is a labor issue. Technology continues to allow the work week to extend beyond 40 hours. Employers will often contact employees outside of paid work hours. Countries such as France have passed right to disconnect laws. I've linked to more information about that in the transcript which try to protect employees from having to answer emails or calls outside of work hours. In an attempt at regaining work-life balance, these laws are meant to sever the electronic leash. As you enter or continue to be in the workforce, I want to encourage you to create these boundaries. It is my responsibility that I model the sign of these boundaries as well. This does not mean that you will not be able to access me or the TAs. Each week, I will have virtual office hours, as outlined on the syllabus, where you can ask me questions. Your TAs will also have weekly virtual office hours. You will also have three TA conference sessions spread throughout the term, as outlined on the syllabus. You will have options to participate either in person or virtual TA sessions. These sessions are not mandatory for the reasons discussed above, including but not limited to time zones, tech needs, and care work. However, there will be a nice opportunity to discuss the material with your TA. I want to retain the option to have virtual TA conference sessions for those of you who are immunocompromised, feeling ill, have difficulty commuting to campus due to disability, work schedules, or more. The virtual conference sessions via Zoom will not be recorded. This is a matter to protect the privacy of yourself and other students and allow you the ability to explore ideas. The in-person conferences will not be recorded either. As always with this class, you never have to turn on your camera, whether that is in conferences or office hours. While well, I'm happy for you to share the link to our course website, introfeministdays.blogspot.com, and the podcast, I remind everyone of their responsibility in ensuring that the Zoom conference videos and associated material are not reproduced or placed in the public domain. This means that each of you can use it for your educational and research purposes, but you can un can't allow others to use it by putting it up on the internet or by giving it or selling it to others who may also copy it and make it available. So now let's talk a little bit about the course design. My commitment to you all 
is, within the best of my abilities, to provide you with an introduction to feminist and social justice studies. It is literally impossible to cover everything. You will like some material more than other parts. Some of you may engage with the content more than others. Lectures are themed around a topic. Each topic could have an entire semester-long course devoted to it. I will provide an overview and examples. I will also provide resources for you to dive deeper into each topic. We began by discussing a set of terms that we will build upon throughout the course. Our course focuses on the Canadian and American contexts. While we will work with material from other geographic contexts, the course will be grounded within the context where this course is centered, through McGill University. McGill University is based in Jojage, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. As we seek to draw attention to power relations that have been invisibilized, it is important to acknowledge Canada's long colonial history and current political practices. McGill is located on unceded Ganyangahaga territory. Furthermore, the ongoing organizing efforts at Unisodan and across Canada make clear the ever-present and ongoing colonial violence in Canada. Interwoven with this history of colonization is one of enslavement and racism. The university's namesake, James McGill, enslaved Black and Indigenous people. The wealth he accrued was built on the violent exploitation of other humans. In his will, he left money to create what is now known as McGill University. These histories are here with us during this course and inform the conversations we have today. The land that you're presently on has a history and is informed by the political present. If you're listening to this episode in the present-day borders of the United States or Canada, I encourage you to go to the website nativeland.ca. Native Land Digital has created an invaluable resource, including a map that indicates Indigenous territories, languages, and treaties, a teacher's guide, and a list of further resources to help people understand the histories of the lands that we live and work on. After establishing the terms, episodes four and five will discuss the histories of feminist movements, yes, plural, movements in Canada and the United States in order to situate our course material. This historical context will be followed by discussion of the many types of feminism and the concept of intersectionality. The next episodes will be centered on the themes of race, colonialism and indigenous feminisms, global feminisms, sexuality and sexual orientation, transgender and intersex experiences, class and labor, including sex work, popular culture, beauty and art, online media and technology, health, embodiment and ableism, reproduction, violence, domestic and sexual, and finally, environmentalism. This is a large amount of material. To clarify, just because an episode topic centers on a particular topic doesn't mean that that episode is the only time we'll discuss that topic, such as race or LGBTQ plus rights. While those episodes, class sessions, highlight certain topics, we will continually return to a discussion of how the topics we are discussing are gendered, raced, class, and impacted by sexual orientation, ability, disability, and more. So, how do you use the syllabus? While I provide external links in the episode transcripts, 
The syllabus indicates the mandatory readings. You can organize your time as you wish. At three points in the semester, I will not present new materials. On those weeks, you will have one, a quiz, two, a writing assignment due for the first two weeks, and three, an optional TA conference session. This arrangement will make sure that no one falls behind as we will have a place to pause and reflect on that third of the class. The writing assignments will allow you to dive into the topics that you're most interested in. You can use these assignments to devote yourself to your individual interests. The second podcast episode will provide more detail about the syllabus configuration and assignments. The reading list is thus a mix. I also want to keep the reading requirements manageable as we are all dealing with very different learning conditions. I'll thus provide you with other materials and recommendations in the transcripts that you may want to explore, but aren't mandatory. Education is a process. You are producers of knowledge, not just consumers. In his now infamous book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, educator and philosopher Paulo Freire describes what he calls the banking model of education. Freire critiques the traditional educational system, which treats students as containers into which educators must put knowledge. Instead, Freire encourages us to think about students as active learners. While this podcast is delivered as a lecture, I will present various perspectives. My goal is not to tell you what to think. Rather, I will present you with ideas. In your random assignments, you will be active learners, building upon your interests. Online learning is different than face-to-face. The cyber-feminist organization, FemtechNet, reminds us that, and I quote, migrating a class into domestic spaces challenges all interactions. They remind us to be skeptical of the techno-solutionism in which we think that technology will always provide a solution, an ideology that is divorced from the socio-cultural context in which we all operate, and alert us to the ways that technologies are complex systems with divergent values and cultural assumptions. Teaching through audio format with transcripts will enable new forms of accessibility, but is not without its challenges. I look forward to a semester working and learning with all of you under these circumstances. So the power of the voice. I want to end today's first lecture reflecting on the format of the podcast itself. Podcast audio prioritizes the power of the voice over the visual. There are gender politics around the register and the pitch of who is speaking. Voices that are considered masculine, that are lower pitched, are often read as the voice of authority. As PhD candidate Stacey Copeland discusses in an episode of the podcast Secret Feminist Agenda, there is a particular gendered policing of women's voices. Women's voices will receive criticism for being allegedly shrill or having vocal fry. Building upon this idea, renowned feminist writer Bell Hooks questions the idea of the liberated voice. I'm going to play a clip of her speaking about it here. I think that, you know, I've always been sort of more opposed to the idea that one can determine the degree of liberation of girls by whether or not they talk a lot. Because I've always said that certainly traditional Jewish women and African-American women have always been very vocal, but it hasn't corresponded to um, a a real liberatory vision of voice. And I think that um, that, that's why so often Jewish women and black women get that stereotype of the angry, bitchy voice, because it's often not a liberating voice. It's often a very critical, 
uh, demeaning of others' voice. And so it's not the voice of power. And I think that we, we, ha we, under we have to reconfigure the idea of what is the voice of power, um, of, of liberatory power. And that's the voice that is capable of valuing oneself rightly and speaking from that position. And so to me... And also cherishing the other. Exactly. So when I see a group of girls, it's not necessarily the girl who is talking loudest or strongest that embodies that power of voice, but that girl who is able to state clearly where, where she's coming from and, and include where she's coming from a recognition of others. Hooks wants us to think about the power of the voice and the voice of power particularly of liberatory power. Throughout the semester, I will return to this idea of whose voices are listened to, who has the voice of power, and even open us up to think about what the role of technology has in changing or reinforcing the way we think about voices in a discussion of digital voice assistants such as Siri and Alexa. So, looking forward. I look forward to sharing this upcoming semester with you all. In episode two, we will start with a discussion of the role of citing our sources of inspiration and how citation can be a feminist act. I will then explain the assignments and grading policies in detail. All the videos, songs, images, and graphics used in the podcast and transcript belong to their respective owners, and I or this channel does not claim any right over them. The opening bell sound is school.bell.wave from 13F Panska Stronska Michaela, and the closing bell is from Inspector J's bell counter A.wave of freesound.org. Fair dealing is an exception in the Canadian Copyright Act that outlines the permitted, unauthorized use of copyrighted materials for specific mandated purpose. In Canada, these purposes include research, private study, education, parody, satire, criticism, review, or news reporting. For research and private study, education, parody, and satire, no special requirements are required. For criticism, review, and news reporting, the source and author must be named to consult fair dealing. This is an advertisement-free podcast used for educational purposes.